gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman, Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The Phantom Zone, home of Krypton's worst criminals. But what would happen if they escaped and found themselves on a planet whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave them fantastic superpowers? Especially when they also put Superman in the Phantom Zone in the process. It's Kryptonian criminals versus the world's greatest superheroes, while Superman tries to get back to Earth. Superman in the Bronze Age presents The The Phantom Phantom Zone. It's my wife's birthday. I'm on vacation in Florida, and you're listening to episode 86 of Superman in the Bronze Age. Hi, everybody. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're continuing our month-long coverage of the Phantom Zone miniseries by looking at issue number three. But before we get into all of that, I need to mention that this episode is sponsored by InStock Trades. Be sure to follow InStock Trades on Twitter, and you will receive notices on deals of the week. Now that the holidays are around the corner, this is a great site to do some holiday shopping, and shipping is free for orders over $50. You can check them out at InStockTrades.com. Now this time, we aren't going to have any emails or comments, since I'm recording this before episode 85 has even been posted, so i got nothing to read yet. So, here's a couple of promos, and we'll get into this week's issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hello, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! Or maybe... How about... I am Batman! Or... This is a job for Superman! Do you remember... Power Rangers! Or this? Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this? Autobots! Transform! (laughs) Or this... By the power of Grayskull! Or... For the honor of Grayskull! Or have you seen the latest episode of... Hello. I'm the Doctor. 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's GeekCast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. Charlie's GeekCast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where I look at random comics for my collection. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice, blind justice, a guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, Superman Presents The Phantom Zone number 3 had a cover date of March 1982 with an on-sale date of December 17, 1981. It had a cover price of 60 cents in the United States and 20p in the UK. The title of this one is The Terror Beyond Twilight, written by Steve Gerber, penciled by Gene Colan, inked by Tony DeZanuga, lettered by Milt Snappen, colored by... Carl Gafford, edited by Dick Giordano, and Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. In the Phantom Zone, Superman and Charlie have passed through the first barrier on their journey back to the real world and find themselves inside an energy storm. Both are experiencing great pain, and Charlie is about to be swallowed by a vortex, but Superman is able to put aside his pain and force his way over to Charlie, hoping that he'll somehow be able to help despite their wraith-like forms supposedly preventing them from being able to touch. But... Superman is able to grab Charlie's hand, and as the storm abruptly ends, they both feel the weight of their physical forms returning as they fall onto an outcropping of rock. Or rather, Superman lands on it. Charlie kind of misses. But Superman does catch him, and they are cur- but they are currently under a red sun, meaning Superman doesn't have his powers. So after Superman pulls Charlie up to the top of the outcropping, Superman looks around and recognizes the place as the planet on the edge of the zone where he and the Flash fought the Phantom, fought the Phantom Zone criminals way back in World's Finest 198 and 199, which I covered way back in Episodes 2 and 3. Can you believe that was almost three years ago? Anyway, that planet has a sun that is also a dimensional doorway, but it also keeps shifting from red to yellow and back again, so they're pretty much stranded until it shifts back to yellow. So, while Charlie watches the birds flying in the distance, we switch back to Earth, where General Zod has Cruella and Jaxer toss Supergirl into the disintegration pit so that its Kryptonian radiation can finish her off. Tossing her in, her body is assailed by the searing radiation, and she begins to hear the hiss of the, as the ends of her hair burn. All of this, coupled with the smell of her Kryptonian cells bursting like 
boils, brings her back to consciousness. Instinctively, she reaches her hand out to grip the side of the pit and brings her fall to a halt just before she hits the bottom. Too weak to fly out, she slowly climbs her way back up out of the pit. When once inside the fortress, she passes out. In the city of Metropolis, Lois and Jimmy arrive outside of Charlie's apartment, where Jer M is shouting for everyone to just leave him alone. From a neighboring rooftop, Batman sneaks over and surprises Jerem from behind, which is pretty good considering superhearing and all. But not knowing that Jerem is Kryptonian, he offers his hand in a gesture of peace. But the maddened Jerem takes his Jerem takes his hand and uses it to throw Batman out through the hole in the wall made last issue by Zod and Company. Outside, the Dark Knight performs a somersault that allows him to land on a police car without injury, except that Jerem fires his heat vision at the car, causing it to explode. So while Batman begins to figure out Jerem's origins and where Superman must be, Jerem floats out of the building, throws the burning wreckage of the car toward Lois and Jimmy, throws a fire hydrant at Batman, and then takes off, shouting that he will now meet Rao. Back in the Phantom Zone. Superman and Charlie discover that those birds are actually winged demi-demons, who snatch up our heroes and carry them over to their nest. Believing that dinner has just been served, their young begin hatching from their eggs, attacking Superman and Charlie with their tongues. But at this point, the sun changes over to yellow, and with his powers returned, Superman fights off the creatures, grabs Charlie, and they fly up, up, and away through the sun. But unlike before, when Superman and Flash return to Earth... This time, Superman and Charlie find themselves in a strange cave. After sticking his hand in some flame to ensure that he still has his powers, Superman attempts to bust out of the cave, but ends up causing the cave to start filling up with green slime. Superman grabs Charlie, and they attempt to outrace the slime before it completely fills the cave, while a disembodied voice spouts off insane platitudes. Finally, they find a door at the top of some stairs, and once Superman knocks it down, the voice goes silent. Inside, they see four scantily clad women, wearing strange masks and lounging around a pool. As they welcome their visitors to the Temple of the Crimson Sun, one of them leads Charlie away while the others keep Superman preoccupied. One offers to reveal herself by having Superman remove her mask, revealing that her head is actually a miniature version of Krypton, which then explodes, sending kryptonite shards throughout the room. Dazed and in agony, Superman staggers back toward the other girls who remove their masks to reveal that their heads are also miniature Kryptons, and then their heads explode as well. This sends Superman flying into the pool. Meanwhile, in the other chamber, the girl with Charlie removes her mask to reveal the head of a Rondor, and at this point, Charlie's clothes change to the Kryptonian garb of Quexel. As the healing rays of the Rondor horn appear to be healing Charlie's mind a bit, the woman's head changes to a Phantom Zone projector and hits Charlie with a beam that sends him flying into the pool. Below the surface of the pool, Superman and Charlie find themselves falling through a billowy bank of clouds before landing outside Pearly Gates. Believing the gates to be the portal to the next level, Superman heads towards them only to be confronted by death himself. Not the Neil Gaiman death. Superman proceeds to the gateway anyway, but Death swipes at his scythe at Superman, opening a wide, bloody gash across Superman's chest. As Superman's life literally slips away, he's healed by the magic of Thulkar, the last of Krypton's wizards of Juru. He leads them through the gates to a fortress that looks like it came from Krypton's Middle Ages, and Superman questions him on the existence of wizards on Krypton. Thulkar explains that his race is from the unexplored region of Juru, 
He was one of the few who believed Jor-El's predictions of Krypton's destruction, and he used his magical abilities to enter the Phantom Zone of his own accord. He also attempted to escape the zone, but was stopped and defeated by the might of Aether. I'm going to say Aether. It's hard to pronounce, but I'm going with Aether. A-E-T-H-Y-R. Aether is almost a god, and the Phantom Zone is the interface between its universe and ours. According to Tholkar, it cannot be overcome, and it ravaged Tholkar's face as a reminder. And as we can see, Tholkar's face on one side looks almost skeletal, and on the other side is melted. However, Superman knows what could happen to Earth if he doesn't at least try to get back. So despite all that Thalkar tells him, he heads out anyway, with Charlie in tow because he's got nothing else planned. Thalkar points out that the next portal is through the fireplace, so Superman and Charlie pass through and enter an area full of flowing energy and a large crystalline shell. As they fly there, Charlie asks Superman if he really is from Krypton. Superman tells him that he was and begins to explain what had happened to him, but Charlie says that he's beginning to remember and hopes that Aether might be able to restore his memories and maybe even his powers. Together, they bust through the crystalline shell and ensue confronted by an obelisk of energy that fires multiple bolts of energy until it hits Superman and Charlie and causes them to vanish. Back on Earth, since time passes differently than it does in the zone, Supergirl finally comes to hours after saving herself from the disintegration pit. When her super hearing fails to pick up any heartbeats, she checks out the fortress to discover that all of the scientific gear, including the alien weapons, the Phantom Zone viewer, and the Phantom Zone projector, have been torn down and destroyed, and presumably cannibalized for some purpose. So she flies off, wondering what Zod's planning, and we shift our attention to space, far above Earth's atmosphere, where Zod oversees the construction of a massive cannon that appears to be using Green Lantern's power battery as a power source a cannon that is designed to project Earth into the Phantom Zone. And while I wet my whistle, here's a couple of promos to keep you guys busy. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. Then transfer out! 
Three, two. Well, I'm in a circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True. I have come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. It's a super prize package worth nine thousand three hundred and eighty-eight dollars. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! And now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts. Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God damn lucky didn't kill all. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. Oh, she likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julia Shoe. I say shut up! It's a man house! A man house! Two true freaks.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, page three. I must say that I was surprised uh, to see the return of the planet from the world's finest issues. It makes me really glad that I already covered it. Because that way it doesn't come out of nowhere if all you're doing is listening to the show. It's kind of cool. Page four. The door to the fortress has been restored, somehow. Don't know when. Also, a couple of episodes ago, Superman insinuated that he would normally be able to survive a trip down the disintegration pit. But here, Supergirl's having problems because this time it's Kryptonian radiation. I don't know... Now, one was written by Marv Wolfman. This is written by Steve Gerber. I don't know which writer did their homework or and who didn't, unless I'm supposed to believe that maybe the tachyon gun affected her in vulnerability or something... Maybe Wolfman forgot that it's supposed to be Kryptonian radiation. I'm not sure. Page 9. Batman deduces Jerem's origins, which is pretty cool. It's unfortunate, though, that he almost got killed in doing so. Page 14. Using a Superman thought bubble is a great way to explain why they ended up in a different place this time than they did way back in that World's Finest issue. Let's see what it says real quick. The last time I flew through that vortex sun, the Flash was with me. We'd been in close contact with faster-than-light creatures. We were carrying a medallion energized by the Guardians of the Universe. Any of those factors could explain why we we returned directly to our own dimensional plane. But none of them offers a clue to where we are now. So, that kind of gives a way out, a nice little loophole to explain why they're in a different place this time. Uh, Page 15, panel 2. The art's a little off here. It isn't very clear that Superman's tried punching the wall. The the art is actually after Superman's already punched it. So it just looks like he's leaning against the wall or Colin forgot to put his arm in there. It's not clear that he punched through it. Page 19. At this point, I'm kind of rooting for Charlie to get his memories back. 
he seems kind of helpless without them. So it'd be nice to, for him to have them so he can actually apparently do something. Page 21. So Superman almost dies here, and he's bleeding. Now, this kind of thing was allowed in the Bronze Age, but you wouldn't have seen it too much in a Julius Schwartz edited Kurt Swan drawn issue. So that's kind of cool. Even in the finale, you know, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. And there's a lot of death in that. Uh, let's see. Page 23. I love that Superman uh, is willing to do whatever it takes to get back to Earth to save the day, even against seemingly insurmountable odds. And that Charlie says he'll go since he's got nothing better planned. <laughs> kind of a cool juxtaposition there. Uh, and page 27. Okay, wait a minute. Rather than take over the planet and rule it, the zoners want to send the only planet in our solar system with life on it into the Phantom Zone? I hope they explain that next issue, because that makes no sense to me. Granted, most of the stuff I've seen or read with the zone is like Superman 2, uh, stuff based after Superman 2. It's always the zone. The Phantom Zone criminals escape and they use their powers to take over the world and rule it. And here we're getting, let's send it to the zone. It's just counterproductive to me to the whole reason for them coming out in the first place. It, uh, anyway, overall, now there's something I noticed about the art this issue. For the most part, it looks great. But I've always had this thing with inconsistencies. One of the things that I've always had an inconsistency about is Superman's hair. I know it's silly, but just bear with me. One of the silly nitpicky things that I have noticed in my Superman reading over the years is that the part on Superman's hair has changed over the years. Before Kurt Swan came along, the part kept switching sides of his head depending on the angle of the artwork which also causes his spit curl to keep changing from looking like an S or looking like a 2. Once Kurt Swan came along in the 50s, uh, he was keeping it consistent, although other artists kept switching it around. And then, of course, once we hit the Bronze Age, and he was the main artist on both books, we actually started getting that level of consistency throughout the DC line. Uh, well, except for, and if you listen to the episodes, World's Finest didn't, because Dick Dillon never got the memo. But in the Bronze Age, things started to clear up. and But here's how it worked. With Swan, up until the very late 60s, maybe the right at the edge of the end of the Silver Age, Superman combed his hair, parted his hair on the right so that his spit curl looked like a two. For some reason, one issue, Swan starts combing it the other way, having it combed the other way so it looks like an S. Don't know whose design that was, but it's kind of makes sense because he's Superman, so it makes sense to have an S curl. Now, basically, ever since then, that's been the model. Superman's hair has always been combed that way, parted that way, had the curl. Even the current new, and that and this crosses over art, different artists, two different sets of reboots, everything. The only time it didn't have it was when he was the energy Superman and his hair went up. But even then, it still came down. And when he was Clark, he still had it parted parted that way. Other, The only times it hasn't been drawn that way is when it's been drawn by either Joe Kubert, Jim Lee, 
and on occasion, Andy Kubert. But the first two issues of this miniseries, Gene Cullen doesn't seem to have a problem with that. He, co- he does it so that he's got an S-curl. But partway through this issue, for some reason, and it doesn't just count, uh, go with the fact that it's because he's in the zone, because he was in the zone all of last issue, and he was in different parts of the zone before it, he started switching the art. Cullen decided he wanted the, the hair to become the other way again, with the two-curl. And in doing so, it, I know I noticed it, but then he started doing the old Wayne Boring thing of it keeps switching depending on the panel and the direction he's facing. It, it, it's not a huge deal. It's very nitpicky, but it's a podcast, so it's supposed to be nitpicky, and I just felt like I should point it out. So there you go. Something to look at next time you read the book. Beyond that, I really enjoyed the art this issue. Colin had to draw a lot of crazy stuff here, including scantily clad women with globes for heads. Even one had a Rondor head. Plus, visions inside Superman's head. It was crazy. I'm not sure what Gerber was on in order to dream up some of the stuff he came up with here, but it worked. As for the story itself, this issue was a bit of a letdown to me. Seemingly nothing important happens here. I mean, I understand Superman and Charlie are going through those levels, but after two issues of setup, this doesn't really set up anything. It just kind of keeps us going. It was a little bit of a letdown. But hopefully things will pick up for the finale next issue. But that's it for my notes. Next, uh, so let's do a couple of promos and then we'll take a look at the ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. 1937. To keep the increasingly threatening Third Reich from achieving a supernatural doomsday weapon, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt secretly turns to soldier of fortune, adventurer, and World War I hero Ace Kilroy. Ace Kilroy is a serialized webcomic that launched on Halloween night 2011. The co-creation of writer Rob Kelly and artist Dan O'Connor. It was nominated for a 2012 Eagle Award for Favorite Webcomic. And Kelly won a 2012 Philadelphia Geek Award for Comic Book Writer of the Year. Ace Kilroy features adventure, horror, mystery, political intrigue, and romance. Join the fight against evil. Visit acekilroy.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age okay the inside front cover starts off the same with the same ad from the inside cover of last issue which has mpc model car kits even this they even point out the same z28 model kit uh, moving right through is the, uh, we once again get that bubble yum sweepstakes ad with the maze to towards all the prizes, all those state of the art prizes. Next we have a Hostess Twinkie ad again. This time it's Aquaman, and it's Aquaman and Pirates Gold. An undersea explosion shakes the continent of Atlantis. Great guppies! There's the cause, Aqualad. Those surface men planting explosives. 
You've got to stop. Your blast will shake Atlantis to pieces. Sorry, Aquaman. Our, our map says there's pirate's gold. Sunken treasure down here. Nothing you say can stop us. What do we do, Aquaman? They want gold. I know just what to give them. And shortly... Look! It's a treasure chest! Soon at sea level... Wow! This is a real treasure. I'll say Hostess Twinkies cakes. Who needs gold doubloons when we can have these delicious gold sponge cakes? Let's head back to land and search for more treasure. Twinkie cakes on our grocer shelves. And as they wave off to wave to Aquaman and Aqualad, they let you know that you can get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkie cakes. Okay, I have to mention a couple things. First of all, when Aqualad asks what they can do, Aquaman and Aqualad could have gone and beaten the tar out of these guys, or at least, you know, taken off their tanks. Second, where did Aquaman get the Hostess cakes? I don't know. But hopefully that's a, a watertight uh, treasure chest. Otherwise, those Twinkies might be a little wet. And now that they're back, it's cool to keep those ads going. Sorry you had to deal with me doing it, but the uh, two, uh, Michael Bailey and Scott Garner didn't do it on their show. Or at least not that I could find. So, you got stuck with me. Uh, the next ad page is a half-and-half half ad page. The top half uh, is trying to find a few good boys and girls to sell grit. The bottom half is an ad for the Heroes World Discount Comic and Book Club. Uh, you can order some of these new direct account issues. Uh, a Silver Surfer, a Silver Surfer book, art by John Byrne, written by Stan Lee, uh, for a dollar. Marvel Marvel graphic novel number one looks like the death of Captain Marvel. Marvel fanfare number one, thirty page, thirty two page goodie to on slick paper, published bi monthly. The first four issues features Spider-Man X-Men team up. Issue one is for a buck fifty, and you can reserve two, three, and four now for a dollar fifty each. Star Lord reprinting the first Claremont Burn Austin magazine in full color. Hulk Batman, which is of course the dynamic team up of Batman and the Incredible Hulk. Star Slayer number one, Captain Victory number one, Elf Quest book one which reproduces the first five books in the series, plus never-before-published material. Marvel Novels, a new series of novels featuring... Uh, the first one is Star Wars, the second one is Spider-Man, three is Incredible Hulk, four is Star Trek. And the X-Men Index features every X-Men book published, full details in each book, nostalgia, pictures, and more for five ninety-five. Plus, you can get, there's a huge collection of three and three-quarter figures. They have pocket heroes, such as Spider-Man, Hulk, Captain America, Green Goblin, Aquaman, Batman, Robin, or Superman, although I think Green Goblin's kind of stretching the whole heroes thing. Chips, you can get John, Ponch, Sarge, or Superfoe. Battlestar, Gal Battlestar Galactica, they have Empress Leader, I'm sorry, Imperious Leader, OVO, Cylon Centurion, or Daggett. With the Dukes of Hazard, you could get Bo, Luke, Daisy, Boss Hog, or Sheriff Roscoe Bay Coltrane. With Star Wars, there's too many to list. So just list the one you want. Each figure is $3.89, or you can get any three for $10.99. And they also ask for alternates. Uh, 
the superheroes utility belts you can get utility belts one size fits all from batman which makes sense superman which makes no sense wonder woman which doesn't make sense hulk no spider-man well i guess to hold his web cartridges or captain america uh, maybe but i mean he doesn't have the book but maybe but hulk really come on Anyway, uh, and that is Heroes World. Looks like it's in New Jersey. So that's kind of cool, a comic book store. Next up, we have a full page, hodgepodge page, where you can get everything from comic supplies to poems set to music to learning guitar to self-defense and gag gifts. And, okay, <laughs> this is the fun one. Inside back cover, comics for collectors from Moondance Comics out of Battleboro, Vermont. Now, this is a mail-order comic shop. And you can get all kinds of books for certain prices. And here's what I think is funny. They have the Phantom Zone miniseries in here. Uh, issue 1 is already worth a buck fifty, apparently. Now, issues 2 through 4... Are a dollar each. Now, I, in order to look at this, I mean, granted, I know it's probably printed in other issues, but in order to look at this, you would have to own a copy of issue number three, which has a 60 cent cover price. So the fact that they're charging a dollar is kind of annoying, especially since the fourth issue hasn't come out yet. So you're looking at, they're already marking up the price on current issues. So yeah, that's a little bit annoying. Uh, Untold Legend of Batman's in here. The first issue is for three bucks, and the other two issues are a buck fifty each. Now, see, I could understand this back when I started getting comics back in um, the early '90s, but this is ten years before that. Jeez. Uh, let's see. They have several issues of Superboy's old series, Superboy's new series. Apparently, they're not worth quite as much. Issues 26 and up are only 75 cents each. Uh, same thing with Superman. Once you catch up to the current, they're only 75 cents each. Uh, let's see. The introduction of Steve Lombard's $2.25. You can get a pretty good collection here. Uh, every issue... Uh, well... Unless they're just being too lazy to break it up, you can definitely get just about every issue since 300 up. Which would be cool if I'd... Except I think I have every issue from 300 up. The five issues of Firestorm's original comic series. A buck fifty for issue one and a dollar for the other four issues. Uh, you can get every issue of Action from... 449, looks like. Again, unless they've decided to be too lazy. Uh, All-Star Comics, the most recent is still at $0.75. Cents. So I just, find, I just find it interesting. Everything else, the most recent issue is at $0.75, cents, which is still a $0.15 cent markup. But for Phantom Zone, let's, let's just do it $0.40 cents extra. What the heck is up with that? And then, of course, you know, you got the... And, and this only covers DC books, so there's nothing about Spider-Man or... Hulk or anybody. 
Uh, wow, this place you can actually buy every issue of DC Comics Presents up to this point. And by this point, issue 26, which is the zero issue pre presenting, uh, or the preview, preview of New Teen Titans, $15. Wow. I think I've got that. I didn't pay that much for it. I have to see where it is. Anyway. And then the back cover. Oh, come on. The back cover is a model kit from Monogram. It's similar to the model kit they had the last issue, except instead of showing off a car, it's a Kenworth W900 semi-truck. And this one points out more of the uh, the semi-trucks you can get, because, you know, that was kind of a big deal at the early 80s. Uh, and it does it doesn't really matter who makes them because there's one by they showed that they have them by Kenworth and Peterbilt. Wonder if they have any Macs, the trucks, not the computers. Anyway, so that's it for that. Let's look at what uh, the what other comics were came out this issue, cover dated March 1982. Uh, let's see. Action Comics number 529 continues the story that started last issue with Superman and Brainiac, but this time Superman is unable to see disasters happening all around him. What will happen? Uh, All-Star Squadron number 6, Carnage for Christmas, which kind of sucks. But basically, the Justice Society disbands. Long live the All-Star Squadron. Let's see. Batman number 345. Batman and Robin take on the diabolical Dr. Death. While Catwoman gets a backup feature on the terror train. Best of DC Digest number 22 features Christmas stories. Christmas with the superheroes. And many of these are... Just, are Stories that have been reprinted before. Uh, Justice League's The Man Who Murdered Christmas, which I covered on, episode, I believe it was episode 5 of Superman in the Bronze Age. My first Christmas special. Robin's Very White Christmas. Don't know what that means. Uh, Sandman, The Sealsman's War on Santa Claus. Batman in a Christmas Peril. Batman in Merry Christmas. Captain Marvel Jr., Freddie Freeman's Christmas. And the Teen Titans Swinging Christmas Carol. I've read the first one and the last one, at least that I know of. Uh, let's see, moving right along. Batman, Brave and the Bold, number 184. Looks like Batman's teaming up with the Huntress. But it also appears that he's quitting. Which isn't like him. Oh, this is the story of Batman's Last Christmas. This has something to do with uh, helping her get over the death of her father. Because this is Earth 2, and Huntress is the daughter of the Earth 2 Batman, who has who did die a few years earlier. Uh, and then, of course, Nemesis has a backup feature titled Outfoxed. Captain Carrot and his Amazing Zoo Crew number 1 came out this month, where it looks uh, with the cover featuring the Zoo Crew saving Superman from kryptonite chains it looks like Scott Shaw and Bob Smith did the drawings for or, 
I'm sorry, Scott Shaw drew in all the cartoon guys, the zoo crew. Ross Andrew drew Superman, and then Bob Smith inked the whole thing. That's kind of cool. I doubt Superman shows up in the issue or in the issue itself, but think about this though. Roy Thomas wrote this. He also wrote uh, the uh, All Star All Star Squadron and Wonder Woman, so it's kind of a different thing than what he's used to. DC Comics presents number forty three in Final Battle, where Superman teams up with the Legion of Superheroes against Mongol and the Sun Eater. A twenty seven page shocker with a cover by by Brian Boland and art inside by Kurt Swan. If you ever wanted to see Kurt Swan's take on Mongol, you will be severely disappointed in the inside this book. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean. Kurt Swan is a great artist. He's not meant to draw Mongol or Darkseid. That's all I'm gonna say. DC Special Blue Ribbon Digest number nineteen features the Doom Patrol, the original Doom Patrol, reprinting several of their original adventures from back in the Silver Age. does have a cool George Perez cover, though. I like it. Detective Comics number 512 continues the Dr. Death story from the Batman issue, The Fatal Prescription of Dr. Death. As he looks, as someone's trying to knock Batman off of a helicopter high over Gotham. While Batgirl, in a backup feature, deals with writers in the night. This is also the 45th anniversary special of Detective Comics, according to the cover, but it's just a regular sized issue. The Flash, number 307. The Flash has become a creature of living sound, and this is the day the music dies. It's kind of weird. Kind of crudely drawn, too. Again, Carmine Infantino was not at his best at this point. Uh, the backup feature does feature Dr. Fate in the Twilight of the Fifth Sun. Let's see. Next up, Green Lantern number 150. From Quard with Hate. It's the double-sized 150th anniversary issue. Meet Hal Jordan. Renegade Green Lantern of Earth, leader of the anti-GL Corps. His only thought is to destroy, destroy, destroy! And uh, it's interesting. We actually have the introduction of another Corps. Uh, we have Hal Jordan as Green Lantern, but we behind him are some weird-looking alien creatures. They look like they're wearing Green Lantern costumes with their different shades of purple, and their rings look black and are firing... looks like black dotted lines over white areas. Interesting. Not something you see too often. But it's kind of ironic considering the way things have been lately. Uh, let's see. And in the backup story is Meanwhile, which doesn't even have Green Lantern in it. So I'm guessing Meanwhile means this is what happened, what's happening on Earth while Green Lantern's doing all that stuff. Uh, moving right along... Justice League number 200, A League Divided. A super steel, star-studded 200th anniversary of the Justice League. Now, it features a beautiful wraparound cover by George Perez. George Perez does the artwork for the main portion of, or for the bookends of the story. But it's, it's a long story featuring art by several 
different artists, including uh, Pat Broderick, Carmine Infantino, Jim Aparo, Dick Giordano, Gil Kane, Brian Bolin, Joe Kubert, with inks by Brett Breeding, Terry Austin, and Frank Giacoya, and several colorists, and several let and a couple of different letterers. It's one of the greatest JLA stories ever told. It is awesome, and if you've ever wanted to see pre-crisis JLA, drawn by Perez, inked by Brett Breeding, this is the book for you. It's pretty cool, and the cover shows the Justice League fighting each other. I see Wonder Woman tying up Zatanna in her lasso, while Zatanna apparently has, is planning some kind of a spell. The Atom is fighting Green Lantern. Flash is fighting, punches Elongated Man. It looks like he punches Elongated Man's head to the back cover. Superman has Hawkman over his head. And I can see Martian Manhunter's in this. I just can't tell what he's doing because all you can see is his boot. It's a cool issue, though. Legion of Superheroes, number 285. Uh, Night Never Falls at Nullport. And also The Forgotten Future. i tell you what else happens, but I can't tell. Uh, let's see. And then two different stories in New Adventures of Superboy 27. Superboy faces against some Kryptonian criminals. Even though they say they have a secret about his past. And in the backup feature, Superboy has a mystery mission for President Kennedy. New Teen Titans number 17, the possessing of Frances Kane. As she is sending waves from her body, sending everyone and everything flying, including the rest of the Titans. That's a beautiful George Perez cover. Superman number 369, where Superman fights is in a Yule duel with the Parasite. Kinda cool. Uh, Superman Family number 216, where uh, the cover story features Supergirl fighting against a volcanic villain. And victory is only 5,000 centuries away. Meanwhile, Mr. and Mrs. Superman answer the question, who is Superman? Superboy is Santa's super assistant. Lois Lane, reporters are not born. And Jimmy Olsen, the comic strip Avenger. It's a nice Bob Oxner, Dick Giordano cover. Uh, let's see. Wonder Woman goes up against the villain known as Dr. Psycho. And Huntress... And is in, is in a backup story, Walls of Stone, Chains of Steel. Now, I don't know who this Dr. Psycho is, but Wonder Woman's going up against someone who's got a costume. Looks like it's somewhat based on her older costume. It's kind of hard to explain. Anyway, and finally for this month, World's Finest number 277. Another beautiful George Perez cover where uh, Superman and Batman have to stop the Beasts of Plague, while Green Arrow, Zatanna, Hawkman, and Captain Marvel also have other stories in this issue. Very nice cover. And that's it. That covers the first three issues of The Phantom Zone. Next up, my buddy J. David Weider brings us the story of Superboy, beginning his journey to become a Superman. 
The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome back to Superboy in the Bronze Age, looking at the Teen of Steel's final adventures as this iteration of my segment begins to wrap up in preparation for something new in 2014. This time around, we begin that final journey with the first of a five-part story told in two different publications. I am pulling the New Adventures of Superboy, issue 51, the March 1984 issue. See, after the Legion took over the first volume of Superboy, DC relaunched this book, and for a long time it was essentially more of the same stuff. But writer Bob Rosakis decided to do something different, or at least somewhat different, but he decided to tell the story of how Superboy left Smallville and became Superman in Metropolis. There had been a few shorter stories that touched on this, but never a full-on focused tale explaining, well, not so much how things went from point A to point B, but more the mechanics of how things progressed, the nuts and bolts of Superman's intermediate period after his Superboy career. But that is exactly what we are going to look at with this issue. As stated, Bob Rosakis was the writer, but we have Kurt Swan and Kurt Schaffenberger on pencils, with Joe Giella and Dan Adkins on inks. The story is entitled The Last Time I Saw Smallville, and it begins in Smallville. Well, who didn't see that coming? The town has gathered to say goodbye to Superboy, who has baked a giant cake to celebrate the last day in Smallville. After taking some of the cake as a souvenir, Superboy flies off, but in reality slips back into town via his hidden tunnel entrance as Clark. See, Clark won't be leaving town for a few more days to throw off suspicion, since if Superboy and Clark left at the same time, awkward. Lana comes to check on Clark, who is still mourning the deaths of his parents and trying to figure out just where he's going to go for college. Now, so far, this story has my heartstrings in a knot. I love Smallville. I love the setting of Smallville. I love the hidden tunnel, the general store, Superboy's little uh, lair where he has the statues of the Legionnaires that will flash. I love all of that. And while working on this, I even pulled out my Superboy PVC figure set from DC Direct just to get me in the right mood to say goodbye to Smallville. I think that just hit the nail on the head. The goodbye in this comic goes quickly, but it hits the right notes as it does so. The citizens of Smallville gather to form the words, Farewell, Superboy, we'll never forget you. This is a town that loves Superboy, and I don't mean they love him in like a superhero way. He's a part of them. He's like an adopted child to them. He's part of their family, part of their life. And, and in ways that he would never really be a part of people in small in, in Metropolis, pardon me. These fine folks would very gladly have Superboy for dinner if they could, and probably did. And I mean, we're looking at Superboy leaving an idyllic town filled with great people. I mean, you know, the giant cake, it's silly, but it's a heartfelt silly, and it totally works to go back to the Silver Age vibe at just the right time. Superboy is torn about where to go to college when a young boy is kidnapped and happens to lean Clark towards the great city of Metropolis. Which brings us to Chapter 2, Where Oh Where Has Superboy Gone?, in which Clark arrives at Metropolis University and meets his new roommates, clean-cut Dave Hammond, long-haired Ducky Ginsburg, and Tommy Lee. Lana has also accompanied Clark to Metropolis University just to make sure she is present. The boys split up their two-bedroom suite, and the rest of the world tries to figure out just where Superboy is going to hang his hat as an adult. Meanwhile, Clark subtly helps a young reporter from the Daily Planet named Perry White from getting killed while on a story, and Perry puts together that Superboy must be in Metropolis. This represents one of the weaknesses of the story a bit, uh, to me. That the world knows that Superboy exists, okay, 
they know he has left Smallville, which means that by their estimation, Superboy is immediately going to settle somewhere rather than just be a citizen of the world. That is a huge assumption and very possessive. It's kind of insulting even because we're talking about a character who moves so fast, he could even remain based in Smallville and still fulfill his duties on a broader sense. And I'm, but I am glad that it was Perry White who Clark sees first, rather than shoehorning Lois Lane into the story. I'm really glad we didn't get Lois. Nothing against Lois at all, but I'm glad she wasn't here because this also works on another level. Perry is able to take a string of near misses when he is running from gunfire and realizes, with all the evidence, that this must be the work of the Teen of Steel. Perry White is a smart cat, and that realization moves us into the next phase of the story, which is Chapter 3. Perry White's Superboy Scoop. Now that he is convinced that Superboy is in Metropolis, Perry begins investigating, which leads him and Superboy to a gang showdown that the Teen of Steel ends at super speed on a baseball diamond, trying to remain invisible. Perry calls Superboy out and gets the scoop that Superboy is coming to Metropolis, and Superboy himself drops into the Daily Planet offices to make it official. And that is basically the first part of what will become a five-part story. It serves as an introduction, and as such was is probably the weaker of the five issues we will be discussing, and that's not in any way to say it was terrible because it wasn't not one bit but as far as the linking of the old to the new or the boy to the man this is a nice prologue just not a complete story unto itself having said that the addition of perry white and his unparalleled journalistic instincts leading him directly to superboy and the gang showdown proves just why he will someday become the editor-in-chief of the daily planet and Rosaka smartly avoids having perry meet clark as well which is a relief. That would have been really cheesy. Here's Superboy, here's Clark Kent, they're in town at the same time. Oh, somehow we're going to have to retcon this. I'm glad that didn't happen. Now, I'm going to be looking more at Clark's roommates over the next several episodes, so I'm not going to touch on them very much here, because in the here, they kind of form more of a background matter, and they become a bigger part of the narrative a little bit further down the line. With this playing out the way it did, I wish there had been a bit more of the Smallville goodbye and less of the wandering aimlessly until Perry White comes into the equation. This felt at times like Rosakis was filling a full comic with a 12-page story and just stretching it out. And there's no crypto. And I know you're thinking this is something where it's a personal thing, but we don't even get a mention. I get when Crypto doesn't show up when Superboy's hanging out with the Legion. I get that, I understand it, but I wish Crypto had been at Superboy's side when he left Smallville. I think that would be fitting, and I probably would have pulled out my hanky and sobbed a little bit. But nitpicks aside, I still had a lump in my throat in the first chapter and a big smile on my face for the third, and really enjoyed the issue. Next time, we look at Superman, The Secret Years, as we learn more about Clark's roommates, Clark comes of age in Metropolis, and begins to move away from Superboy and into Superman. Until then, long... Oh, I can't say live, long live the Legion. So I'll just say, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Thank you, sir. And that's going to do it for this episode. Next week, make sure you head back over to Charlie's GeekCast for the finale of The Phantom Zone. And then come back here in two weeks for yet another Bronze Age Superman adventure. As well as hearing J. David Weider continue the story of Superboy becoming a Superman. We'll see you then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network 
at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening, and God bless. our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones, on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.